0: Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. Well, good morning, College Life. Glad you guys are here this morning. We are continuing our series on False Gods Today, which is looking at the deep-rooted idols in our life. Last week, Mike talked about approval, and this week we are going to continue with this idea of deep-rooted idols and talking about power. Growing up, there was always a career day in elementary school. You know the classic trope from TV2, right? The kid brings their dad to school, he tells the class about their career— And what is the response from the kid? Either pride, I'm so proud of my dad, look how cool he is, or embarrassment, oh, I can't believe this is my dad's job. Now, I don't know about you guys, but personally, I've been wondering, what is career day going to look like in 15 years? I mean, just imagine it with me for a moment. Instead of firefighters getting all the love, maybe it's mom and dad who has their own YouTube channel. Instead of a local city council person explaining, you know, the importance of civil service, it'll be the famous person who is famous for being famous with their large reach and audience (laughs) on social media. Instead of the teacher sharing his or her career on how teaching is one of the most vital aspects of a thriving society, the education of our young people, Instead, it'll be the startup success story who bootstrapped his way to the top. For some reason, today, a career has transformed from a unique and special opportunity to contribute to society, to participate in this communal effort for human flourishing, to making money, being successful, and winning at life. Today, we're continuing that series called False Gods. Today. And the goal of this series is to look at modern-day idolatry and dig beneath the surface, go a little bit deeper, and to, dis- and to discover what is actually at the root of our sinful behavior. Specifically, how power, influence, winning, and success have become a deeply rooted idol in our lives. When people think of idolatry, the image of the Israelites bowing down and worshipping the golden calf an object might be what comes to mind when we think of idolatry but God says about the elders of Israel in Ezekiel 14:3 that the elders have set up idols not in front of them not objects but people have set these elders have set up idols in their hearts Last week, Mike helped us understand what was an idol. It is anything that becomes an ultimate thing, even a good thing. It's when our relationship to something turns into worship. And that's going to be what we're talking about today, is this idea of disordered worship. In 2013, Eric Geiger preached at Austin Stone Church on what he called four root idols. Martin Luther even believed that every violation of the Ten Commandments was first, a violation of the first commandment, putting another God besides him in my life. He describes these four root idols that drive our sinful behavior and that all sin can actually be traced back to these four root idols. Last week, we looked at approval and we defined it as a longing to be accepted or desired. A longing to be accepted or desired. The solution We said was not finding inner peace, being ourselves or finding approval in our work or what we produced. But it was this. We can repent of our longing for approval by rejoicing in his gracious approval. Looking at Galatians 3.13. This week, however, we are looking at power. And we're going to define that as a longing for influence or recognition. By looking at a variety of examples, even throughout Scripture, we will see that we need to repent from worshiping power by worshiping God and submitting to His greater power within us. This longing for influence or recognition. So, today, our plan, we're going to look at how we become idolaters. Number two, how worshiping power reveals itself. And number three, how to submit to God's power. The first is how we become idolaters. In the 1600s, preacher David Clarkson went through what he calls soul worship of idols. Although some prostrate or bow down and pray to the images that the Bible refers to as idols, many Protestant Christians today are not familiar with that type of activity. However, we are familiar with letting other things take the place of God in our life. When our mind is consumed, when our minds are set upon anything more than God, our hearts are set on anything more than God, we have become idolaters. That's what we talk about when we say soul worship. Ephesians 5.5, it helps us see the seriousness of this problem too, when we become soul idolaters, soul worship of idols. It says this, For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person, is an idolater. They do not have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Idolaters don't have inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God, meaning that when we decide to start following Jesus, that is not just a momentary decision. That is a lifelong commitment to make Jesus the Lord of our life, and repent from the things that we worship instead of God. I want to go through some of the ways that David Clarkson discusses how we soul worship, or idol worship in our heart, to help us have a category for what idol worship looks like, since it's not always visible. You know, we struggle with this idea of thinking, yeah, there are things that I value maybe more than God, but there's so many different categories of what this looks like when we soul worship. So I picked 10 of them. Esteem, this comes from Job 21.14. Esteem. What we esteem most, we make our God. So the question is, what do you value most? What is the most important thing to you? If you hold anything in a higher esteem, your job, family, friends, popularity, reputation, we are idolaters. Consider this. If we are so consumed with an OU loss, that it affects whether or not we come to church, then we may have disordered worship. Number two, mindfulness. Mindfulness. This comes from Ecclesiastes 12. What we think about most, we make our God. What do you think about the most? Is it God? Is it the things he values? Or is it school, grades, friends, lack of friends, a romantic relationship? It's not that we can't be mindful or think about other things, but when we think about ourselves, our interests, our pleasure, our desires, we set up those things as idols when we think about them more than God and the things he cares about. If we go a day or days without thinking of God, then we have put something in the place of God. We have become idolaters. Number three, intention. This comes from Ecclesiastes 12 as well. What we aim at most, we make our God. What is the intent? Or, should I say, what is the purpose of your life? What are you aiming at? The Westminster Confession of Faith says that the chief end of man, a.k.a. the meaning of life, okay? The meaning of life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Do our lives revolve around glorifying God or do they revolve around glorifying ourselves, making our name great? We were not designed to focus our lives on things more than God. And when we do, we can't help but be dissatisfied and we have become idolaters. Number four is love. This comes from so many different places, but specifically... Exodus 20, verse 3, Deuteronomy 6, 5, Matthew 22, 37, 1 John 2, 15. And it's this, what we love most, we make our God. God has created us to love, to adore things. And God gives us good gifts. That is so obvious. And it is okay to love these things. Okay to love our family. Okay to love our friends. Okay to love what we do in our job. But when we love those things for themselves, instead of loving them as a gift of God, or in other words, think about it this way, loving those things in Him because of what He has given us. It's not so much that we love those things for for the end of themselves, but because of who has given them to us. When we love those things... More than the one who has given us those things, then we have disordered our worship. When we love a created thing over the creator of that thing, we have become idolaters. Number five, trust. This comes from Proverbs 3.5, Job 31.24, 1 Timothy 6.17, Psalms 118 and 136. What we trust the most, we make our God. When you think about where your confidence comes from, or what you depend on the most, what is it? Is it your skills? Is it your talents? That whatever life throws at you, no matter what problem goes your way, you are proficient, smart enough to handle it. Do you rely on your beauty, your personality, or how you appear? Do you depend on maybe the job that you want? That because of the things that you do, You'll be able to get the job, house, spouse, and life you want? Is it your accomplishments or your financial situation that you trust the most? Anything that we trust in more than God removes the heart posture of the Christian faith. It is faith or trust in God for salvation. When we trust in anything more than God, we have become idolaters number six fear this comes from Matthew 4 10 Deuteronomy 6 13 Isaiah 50 12 Luke 12 what we fear the most we make our God what are you scared of the most being lonely being poor being humiliated being unable to meet people's expectations is it being rejected being uncertain being directionless Anything we fear more than God, we implicitly make this claim that that thing is greater than God. When we fear anything more than God, what we have done is we have lied to ourselves by saying that God is not greater than that thing. When we fear anything more than God, we have become idolaters. Number seven: is hope. Jeremiah 17, 13, Romans 15, 13, Jeremiah 2, 13, 1 Timothy 1, 1 and Colossians 1, points to this idea. And it's that what we hope in the most, we make our God. As trust is a daily dependence, hope is a future assurance. So what are you hoping? Is it your situation changing? Finding the perfect person? Becoming influential so that your voice can be heard? Is it having a large bank account so you won't have to worry about things? Maybe it's having an easy life one day so that all all the hard things go away. Friends, our hope can only be in God because He is the one who holds this world in His hands, who holds our future. In his hands. When we hope in anything other than God, we forget who is the one who holds it all. When we hope in anything other than God, we have become idolaters. Number eight is desire. What we desire the most, we make our God. This is because we desire. This is because what we desire the most, our heart is basically saying this. What we desire the most, we actually believe is the best thing there can possibly be. Clarkson, he calls it our self-determined, what we decide, our chief good or the ultimate good. That which is most desired is most honored. God deserves our highest honor. Psalm 27.4 puts it this way regarding our desires. Psalmist says, One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. When we desire anything more than God or what he desires, we have become idolaters. Number nine is zeal. Romans twelve eleven talks about this. What we are most passionate, we make our God. What are you most passionate about? you're on campus you can see causes left and right things to get your whole self behind there are so many things to be passionate about political stances even religious beliefs but if we are not passionate about the things that God is most passionate about if we're not passionate the most about God the things of God the things he cares about then we have become idol worshipers number 10 gratitude this comes from Hosea 2 Habakkuk 1 To whom or to what we are most grateful we make our God. I'd like to just quote Clarkson's words here. When we ascribe our plenty and riches to our care and industry, our success to our prudence and diligence, our deliverance to friends, means, instruments, without looking higher, or not so much to God as unto these, We idolize them, sacrifice to them. To ascribe that which comes from God unto creatures or created things is to set them in place of God and so to worship them. If we are grateful to anything more than God, we have become idolaters. Do you guys see that soul worship of created things is more than just physically bowing down to them? It's what our heart, soul, our mind centers around. It's what we most esteem, what we're most mindful of, what we aim our life at, what we love, what we trust, what we fear, hope, and desire, what we are zealous about, and to what we are most grateful. God, if he is our God, clearly made it clear what it looked like to worship him. It says in Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And just as Luther once said, if we only obeyed the, this command, the rest would follow suit. Jesus, he summarized the law by saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul and with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All of sin, ultimately, is disordered worship. We fall into the same trap as the elders of Israel, and we too have set up idols in our hearts. So at your tables, I'd love for you guys to talk about this. And specifically, in a moment, we'll get into the deep, deep-rooted idol of power. But go through each of these ten aspects that David Clarkson outlined of soul worship and ask, what do you blank the most? What are you mindful of the most? What do you love the most? What are you zealous about the most? Okay, and then we'll come back and finish up by talking about power. Okay? Now, I, I spent the majority, the, the beginning, to focus on soul worship, because without that foundation, the rest isn't really going to make sense. And so now that we have that solid, solid foundation, I want to talk about power. Now, this root idol, it ultimately goes back to the fallen. Genesis 2, 17, what was the original temptation in the Garden of Eden? What was it that the serpent communicated to tempt Eve to eat of the apple? The temptation of the serpent was that Adam and Eve could be like God. By taking over the power of their future, to take over their choices, rather than accept our limits and depend on a limitless God, we, to this day, desperately seek ways to assure ourselves that we have power over our destiny that we are self-determined free agents with no limits that if we try hard enough, work hard enough, use enough people that we can get to where we want to go. So this is how worshipping power reveals itself. The idea is this. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have power and influence over others. Success, winning, influence, this is power. On your table, there is a graph of, I I don't remember what it says, but yeah, an idolatry chart of the four idols, deep root idols that we're gonna be going over. Approval was last week, power is today. Hopefully, this will help you internalize maybe some of the deep-rooted idols in your life. You can see approval like what we talked about last week, and you can see power, which is this week's root idol. And with a power idol, a person is very likely to take hold and seek responsibility because they love to lead, right? They love to lead, not because they're good at leading. They very well might be, but the reason they love it is because they crave to be important. They crave to be significant, to influence others, to matter. In the book of Genesis, the people... Of Babel desire so greatly to matter, to be important, so that they build a tower to the heavens to show how great they are. This is at the root of our sin too. You might say, yeah, those old people in the Bible, they struggled, but I'm good with going with the flow. I don't struggle with this, but I want to look at three surface idols and how this root idol of power plays out. The first is money. The first is money i want to do a compare and contrast money is only a surface idol the bible talks about money is the root of all kinds of evil right we know that money can be an idol idol jesus himself 11 of his 40 parables talk about money that's more than he talks about faith and prayer now money is a surface idol something that is worshiped and consumes people more than god manifests itself differently with people with different root idols. I want to explain. Since we've talked about approval last week, I'm going to explain the difference. So, with an approval idol, someone will pursue money and idolize money so that they can be liked. So that they can be deemed worthy of love. A lot of men that I talk to express this idea to me. I need to make money to provide. They don't mean so that they can meet the needs of their family. What they mean is, I need to make money so that I will be worthy of love. That's an approval idol. Power idol manifests itself like this. The person with the power idol idolizes money not to earn love, but to earn influence. The more property they own, the higher position in the company, the more they can use their money to coerce people's behavior to get what they want, to get their way. They use money as a lever to feel superior and to limit any opportunity to be perceived as weak or unimportant. If you are scared of being poor because it will humiliate you, because it will embarrass you, then you might be struggling with a deep root idol of power. That's how they play out differently. The next surface idol is sex. The Bible is clear in the New Testament and Old that any fornication Aka a sexual act outside of the covenant of a marriage between a man and a woman is sinful. Paul says, Avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Jesus even says that thinking lustfully is a sin. This is what we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. But sex is merely a surface idol, there is always something deeper. So let's compare once again Approval. A person with an approval idol views sex as a way to earn love. That physical connection with someone is a way to validate, encourage, or increase an emotional connection. A person who idolizes sex with an approval idol will think this way. If I do this, then maybe they will love me. If we do this, then it will prove to me they care about me. Sex, though it is sinful, outside of a covenant of marriage, is really a symptom of a deeper problem. A person with a power idol will view it like this. Sex as a surface idol comes from a totally different place with a person who has a power-rooted, deep-rooted idol. There's a story that Tim Keller tells about a person that he knew who viewed sex as something to be conquered, that having, having relations with a woman, he would become disinterested and move on, leaving all the wreckage behind. Now, at this point... He becomes a Christian. He cares a lot more now about theology. He repents from his surface idol of sex but he, and he no longer treats women this way, but he instead gets really into theology. He loves to argue theology. He loves to get in debates at work, get into debates at church, get into debates in his small group. Now when asked why he loves to argue about theology so much, he answered this way, I love that I have found out that I am right. I love that I have found out that I am right. Not, I hope to win a lost soul. I hope to encourage the church, but being right. He had a power idol that had yet to be repented of. And it wasn't until he submitted to God's power within him that he finally started to heal. Another one is a good one. Involvement or community. We've talked how we can sometimes make a good thing an ultimate thing, and that becomes an idol, right? I want to bring it home for many of you guys as college students, right? In college, you are encouraged to what? Get involved. Get involved, right? Community, unquestionably, is important to God. In the Garden of Eden, before sin even entered the picture, God created Eve because it was not good for man to be what? Alone. Alone. It was not good for man to be alone. That wasn't an effect of the fall. Additionally, we read in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 that we should discipline ourselves to gather together as a church family so that we might encourage one another to love and good works. In Genesis 22, God finally fulfills his promise to Abraham by giving him a son. We've talked about that sometimes a good thing can become an ultimate thing. Community, generally speaking, is a good thing. But when it becomes an ultimate thing, that's where we've dipped into idol worship, right? So in Genesis 22, Abraham is given a son. A promise was made to Abraham. He was coming through on this promise. And what does God ask Abraham to do? He asks him to sacrifice his son. To keep it short, though a son was a good thing and a gift, God wanted to make it clear to Abraham that it wasn't to become an ultimately ultimate thing. Similarly, involvement in community is a good thing, but we can't make it an ultimate thing. So let's do the comparison again. So why the surface idol of community, of I value community above all things, how does a person with an approval idol deal with it? A person who views involvement too importantly puts campus officer roles, church leadership and volunteer roles and roles in the community as important for this reason. They are terrified of being rejected and being alone. These avenues provide plenty of opportunities for friendship and connection. Yet if they become our ultimate, ultimate thing, we can end up worshiping the idea of being liked. If we are only involved to make friends, we forget that the purpose of our involvement in church as Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 describes us as a body, that the Holy Spirit blesses us with gifts to bless other people in the church. The chief end of community is not so that we make friends, so that we belong to a community, to bless one another and live on mission together, to follow Jesus together, not just to find friends. Friends are important, not so that we would find our worth in how many or who we are close with, but so that we can walk alongside them to follow Jesus. A person with a deep root of power, deep root idol of power, views friends, involvement, and community differently. They idolize the surface idol of being involved. Not because they are afraid of rejection and afraid of loneliness, but they are, be- they are afraid of being insignificant. They are afraid of being humiliated. Officer roles, church volunteerism, community engagement are first and foremost resume builders. They are metaphorical trophies for the person who idolizes power. They view people as stepping stones to get to where they want to go, and they use their involvement to get to where they want to go. But what does Christ show us with his power and with his leadership? Leadership in the kingdom of heaven is not about coercion, is not about authoritarianism, but is about service. It is about sacrifice. Just as a man leads his wife, he puts puts her needs above his own. Leadership and influence is a call to die and sacrifice, just as Jesus died and sacrificed for the church. When we think of influence, it is not to build our kingdom, but to leverage our influence for Christ's kingdom. Power itself is not inherently bad, but idolizing power turns into these twisted expressions of, of misusing power that we see in the world today. The example of power is how Jesus used his. So far we've looked at, number one, how we become idolaters, and number two, how worshiping power reveals itself. Finally, I want to end on hope, and that is by looking at our hope. We have seen the how today on how we become idolaters and how worshiping power reveals itself, And we've probably learned a lot about ourselves, about how we can be tempted in this way. But how do we submit to God's power? The answer we often want when we come to church is this. I wonder if you've ever thought this way. How do I fix this problem that I have? Right? When I meet with students, often that is the underline of their conversation with me. What are some practical ways I can fix this problem? I don't like this thing in my life. How do I fix it? They crave practicality. But in reality, what we have to determined today is that idolatry is what? Disordered, say it with me, worship. Disordered worship. So the question is not how do we stop worshiping in a disordered way? The question instead, is something totally different. Because if we ask, how do we stop worshiping in a disorderly way? What we've done is we have just focused on behavior modification. That is not the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel is to give us a new heart. And so instead, the question is, how do I worship the living God today? How do I worship God? Step one is what we've already done. We have discerned our idols. We have understood what it is, that we are idolizing what we have placed in a place placed in place of what God deserves of highest honor highest respect. Step 2 is repentance. That is turning away, but it is not just turning away, it is turning toward. How will you change the affections of your heart from this created thing to the creator? The answer is not just to crush the idol, change your behavior, but the answer above all else is to replace our idol for the genuine thing, to replace the thing that we think will satisfy us, the the thing that we think is the best, with the thing that actually will satisfy us, the thing that actually is the best, and that is knowing God intimately. So how do I worship the living God? Before calling the Colossians to repent from a bunch of specific sins, Paul says this in Colossians 3, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. We must replace our idols of worship by worshiping God. So, how do you incorporate worship? This is the question today. This is the application. How do you worship God outside of Sunday? How can you incorporate rhythms of worship outside of Sunday? Throughout Christianity over the course of the last 2000 years, we have called these the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are not legalistic ways to follow God, but they're avenues of accessing the divine. They're ways in which Jesus has showed us how to connect with God. So, do you rest Do you meditate on scripture? Do you pray? Do you fast? Do you fellowship with believers? Do you give generously? Do you share your faith? Do you confess sin? Are you a radical forgiver as Christ has forgiven you? Do you serve? This is how we turn our heart from created things to the good thing. And that is God. Ephesians 5.18, it lists a couple sins. It says, do not sin, gives an alternative, but be filled with the spirit. This is not some behavior modification. It is a spirit empowered connection with the true and living God. This is our hope for today. Let me pray for us and then we can have that Q and A. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for these friends. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to follow Jesus together. I pray that as we close today, we would remember that what we are called to do is we are made to worship. Not created things, but the best thing. And that's you, Jesus. I pray that we would do so as we walk uh, the rest of this week, that we would build in habits of spiritual disciplines where we can connect with you in a holy way. Lord, work in our hearts and change us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.